Well, thank you again for your very uh, warm welcome. It's very, very good to be with you this evening and to share in the confirmation of 18 candidates tonight. Thank God. And together, in a few minutes' time, we will witness their public profession of Christian faith. Together, we will pray that God, by his Spirit, will strengthen them and fill them with his grace. And together we will commit to encouraging them and praying for them as they journey on in their faith. For those who may be interested, I am hugely enjoying my role as Bishop of Sheffield one year in. It's lovely, great privilege. I was in a place called Armthorpe this morning and I bring you warm greetings from the congregation uh, there. Uh, Armthorpe is an ancient church, goes back to Norman times, in a very uh, poor community, one of the poorest in the Diocese of Sheffield. And I was talking with a woman this morning, among others, uh, who quite literally would not be alive today were it not for her Christian faith, which is quite recent, less than a year uh, old. I also heard the vicar call the bands for someone called Emma Dale, which I'd never heard before. (laughs) And rather enjoyed. Unfortunately, it was a misprint. He misread it, but there we are. (laughs) Uh, uh, A couple of weeks ago, I uh, baptised a baby called Corrie. Okay? Uh, So, actually, I'm looking forward to confirming somebody called EastEnders in the next uh, few weeks, and then I'll have the set. Uh, One of my visits tomorrow, as part of my role, is to connect together lots of different communities. I'm going tomorrow to one of our 40 church schools in the diocese in a a small place called Hooton Pagnell, where I've never been before. And I'm going because two children in year six, uh, called Lucy and Mitchell, wrote me a lovely letter. Dear Bishop of Sheffield, the children of All Saints School invite you to come and visit us. As we are only a small village school, there are only 76 of us. So don't be frightened. Exclamation mark. (laughs) We would love you to come and spend time with us. Uh, And as you've uh, so kindly welcomed uh, uh, us here this evening on behalf of Anne and myself, uh, can I invite you all to tea in a couple of weeks' time? Uh, We have inherited a tradition of holding an annual garden open day at Bishop's Croft, which is just up the road from here. And it's in two weeks' time on the 27th of June. There's a poster uh, outside. Uh, It's been an annual event for many years, but it's our first one. Uh, And we'd love it if somebody came, actually. It would be great. Uh, uh, But we'd love to welcome families and children, especially, uh, to our garden. And you're welcome to come and explore, but please don't ask the bishop or his wife any technical questions about the plants in the garden. Thank you. Or only ask us if you really want to embarrass us. So we have before us, in our Gospel reading, a beautiful, beautiful story about Jesus. It's a story of contrasts between two main characters. One is a man 
the other a woman. One has a reputation for public learning, the other has a reputation as a public sinner. One has power and influence, the other is despised and rejected. One is used to judging others and the other is used to being judged. One is rich, the other has nothing. One is at the centre of his community, the other is an outcast from hers. And yet, and yet, and yet. The man holds Jesus at arm's length. The woman embraces him and kisses his feet. He does not offer even water. She washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. He does not anoint Jesus even with oil, but she brings an expensive jar of perfume for his feet. Simon invites Jesus in order to judge him and dismiss him. The woman comes only to express her love. The Pharisee believes he has done little that needs forgiveness. The outcast knows she has done much. And in consequence, He loves Jesus only a little, if at all. She loves Jesus with all her heart. And I want to ask you on the basis of this story, what kind of offering and what kind of love do you bring to Jesus this evening? I ask the question of those of you coming to be confirmed but also of everyone else. What kind of offering of love are you bringing? What kind of love do you bring? What kind of offering of your life to this Lord and Saviour? The story begins with an invitation to dinner. Simon asks Jesus to be his guest Uh, Dinner parties in the ancient world were, of course, different from dinner parties in our own day. The guests did not sit on chairs around a table, but they reclined on couches with the table in the centre with their head towards the table and their feet facing outwards. And the houses of leading public figures like Simon were not the private spaces that we know today. You wouldn't close your door in this kind of house people will be coming and going throughout the meal. So it would not be impossible or awkward for this woman to slip in almost unnoticed and kneel at Jesus' feet, perhaps in the shadows at the edge of the room, lit only by oil lamps in the centre on the table. But still, this woman is acting with remarkable courage. She has a public reputation as a sinner. We might speculate on what that means, but Luke does not 
tell us. And that, I think, is significant. The Gospel story treats this person with immense respect and courtesy. It does not name what she has done. And the Gospel story treats her with the same courtesy and gentleness which Jesus shows her within the story. The same respect and courtesy we as Jesus' people should show to anyone in this situation. This woman makes herself very vulnerable. She comes to a place where people know her reputation very well. And she kneels at Jesus' feet and sheds tears of sorrow for her life. With those very tears, she washes the dusty feet of the Saviour. She lets down her hair. No self-respecting Jewish woman would do that in public. So this is very extravagant devotion. She uses that same hair to dry Jesus' feet. Imagine. And then she kisses the same feet which have walked dusty roads that day. This is a woman who has nothing. And she brings the only gifts she can to Jesus. Her tears, her extravagant love, her perfume. She anoints his tired feet so that he is clean and refreshed again. This is probably a different story from the one told in the other three Gospels, or most scholars think it is, about the woman with the jar of very expensive perfume. In those stories, Jesus is anointed for burial. It happens just before the Passion. The debate is all about the cost of the myrrh, and the stories look forward to the cross. But in this story, the emphasis is on the contrast between this unnamed woman and Simon the Pharisee. For Simon has noticed what is happening. And he has already judged inwardly both Jesus and the woman. He has criticised them in his heart and has dismissed them both. He thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. There is a heavy irony here. Jesus is indeed a prophet, and more than a prophet. Yet Simon dismisses him. And Jesus knows exactly who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. It's a consistent message in Luke's Gospel that Jesus comes for sinners. From our perspective, Jesus deals gently and even patiently with Simon at this point. Simon has not, after all, spoken his thoughts out loud, though Jesus is aware of them. And so Jesus tells this 
somewhat gentle story of the two who owed money to the same moneylender. Both owe different amounts. Both have their debts forgiven. Which one will love the moneylender more? Now the same word is used, of course, all through the Gospels for forgiveness and for the releasing of debts. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, we're saying, uh, forgive us our debts. So this story is a powerful one for Simon. Which one will love him more? Simon is clear. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. I suppose. The word is there in the original. I suppose is significant. The truth is beginning to dawn. Simon, you see, can perhaps see himself now as someone who has just a few sins to forgive. He identifies with the person who owes a little. He has not yet realised that he has many other sins which he has not yet seen or understood. He identifies with the one who owes little, but he has not yet seen that he perhaps is the one who owes a great deal. Jesus continues, not so gently now. For Jesus now applies a severe mercy to bring home to Simon, or attempt to, the nature of his own debt. The contrasts are repeated. Do you see this woman? Clearly Simon has not actually seen her at all as a person. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. That will be the normal courtesy after a long day. But she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, the normal greeting to a guest. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Extravagant devotion. You did not put oil on my head. Perhaps a particular mark of respect for an honoured guest. But she has poured perfume on my feet a sign of costly love and here is the point, the lesson of the story for us this evening therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven and because of this she loves much her many sins have been forgiven and because of this she loves much But the other side of the question is left hanging. What about your many sins, Simon? Have you realised yet how many they are and how much you need grace? Jesus is the one who takes the side of the woman, the public sinner, the despised, the poor, the rejected, the outcast, and the one everyone else in the room does not see. 
There are lessons for us as a church in every generation in this story. If Jesus takes the side of the woman, the public sinner, the despised, the poor, the rejected, the outcast, then the church, the body of Christ, needs to be sure that we do the same. We've often behaved more like Simon than like Jesus. But there is a challenge also for us as individuals as we come this evening as forgiven sinners to offer our worship and to offer our lives to our risen Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of offering do we bring? Some of us are here tonight, thank God, to make a public confession of faith and trust in God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and be confirmed. But all of us are here to offer our worship, our devotion to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, who died on the cross that we might be forgiven. What kind of offering do you bring? Is it the offering of Simon? Simon only sees part of the picture. He does not see or understand how much he stands in need of forgiveness himself. He is blind to his own sin, his own judgment of others, his hypocrisy. And he can see the faults of other people much, much more clearly than he can see into his own heart. And even when he looks into his heart, he can see his own virtues much more clearly than he can see his own weaknesses. And so the offering he brings to Jesus is hesitant and half-hearted, literally. I think if Simon were here this evening, he would think he was doing God a favour just by coming to church. If Simon were here this evening, he would probably think he was doing far better than everyone else in this congregation. And if Simon were being confirmed this evening, he would be coming with his heart full of his own achievements and what a good Christian he was going to be. Is that the kind of offering you are bringing Well, if it is, think again. Ask God to open your eyes to how much you stand in need of grace and of forgiveness, whoever you are and whatever you have done. For if you think you have been forgiven little, you will love only a little. Or is the offering you are bringing the offering of the woman? You have seen and you understand and you know only too clearly the extent of your own need of grace and forgiveness. You know 
how much you have sinned and fallen short. You know and you understand that you have hurt others. You see the mess. A good friend of mine who's helped many people in the Christian faith always begins her own prayers with the same phrase, God bless this mess as she comes to prayer. Because you have looked in the mirror and seen how much you stand in need of God's forgiveness. You come this evening bringing the offering of your love, your devotion, your life. You would indeed kneel at Jesus' feet and weep and dry his feet with your hair and break open the most precious possession you have for him. And you come this evening to offer him your life completely, utterly, in worship and devotion and passion, not just in this service, but in all the months and years ahead. Yes, you will be his disciple. Yes, you will be his friend. Yes, you will do your best to shape your life according to his word. Yes, you will return again and again to the cross, to the fountain of grace, whenever you fall short and fail. Yes, you will offer him costly devotion all through the years that lie ahead because through him you have been ransomed. Through him you have been healed. Through him you have been restored. Through him you have been forgiven. And because you know you have been forgiven much, you will love deeply and forever. So whether you are here to be confirmed or here in support as part of the congregation, if that is the offering you make this evening, may I encourage you to use this most beautiful prayer, which I'm going to read in a few moments' time. It's a prayer taken from the Methodist Church, from the Methodist Church's covenant service. It's a prayer that's been used in the Methodist Church since the time of John Wesley. And it's now an authorised part of Anglican worship as well. Uh, it is, I believe, a prayer which captures the response of this woman to Jesus as she kneels at his feet in the house of the Pharisee and washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair and breaks open the most precious gift she has. It's the response of extravagant devotion, the response of a Christian to his or her Lord. This is the prayer. It's not printed on any sheet you have. But I'd encourage you, as I read it, to imagine the woman at the feet of Jesus and imagine, if you will, that you yourself kneel with her. 
I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.